Welcome to the Whiskey Congress. Honest, open talk dedicated to speaking the truth to those who are open to hearing it. Black, white, right, left. Most importantly, honest, bold, and fueled by good whiskey. In Whiskey Veritas, we are Whiskey Congress. Join the evolution. Whiskey Congress is back in session. Steve and I are not together in studio. Steve is calling in. How you doing, man? I'm good. How about yourself? Hanging in. Weird thing for me. I'm normally in West Virginia for Thanksgiving, but this year I'm at home in Cleveland. A um, little different. Did the yeah. solo thing, but uh, I had some friends yeah. uh, take me in and feed me feed me turkey and uh, make it okay. How are you? Yeah, I can't complain. Just out of state visiting family. I'm, I, I want to talk about the turkey situation. So. Um, the last couple of years, I've been smoking the turkey at home. I've been on turkey duty, and then uh, this year went back to you know they didn't smoke the turkey here, and they cooked it in the oven. And I have to say that once you smoke a turkey, you you can't go back. Right? You, just, you can't <laughs> go back to oven baked turkey or roasted turkey or whatever. It's just I I, I had to hide my displeasure with with the turkey situation but other than that it's, it's been real good okay well i was able to enjoy smoked turkey at your place last year so i understand the frustration having said that um <laughs> this year i uh i actually had a smoked turkey purchased by my friend from whole foods which was entirely different than what uh what it was like last year it was huh. dry as a fucking bone I'm not going to, fortunately, my friends don't listen to our show, so I I appreciate them for having me in. You know, I, uh, I've been working on, I've gotten back on the road, so I was traveling and I had just gotten home and um, normally, like I said, I'd be driving to West Virginia and it's always a good time for me. I usually see a couple of college friends, whatever, but um, that didn't happen this year. Having said that, after driving the six hours to and from lovely Kankakee, Illinois, um, I didn't mind just chilling out at home for a bit. So that was what it was. Um, and as I was driving home, actually, Steve, I, uh, I was pulling over in Michigan for reasons I will not disclose. And I heard the verdicts being uh, read in the uh, murder of Ahmad Arbery. And I can use those terms from a legal perspective now because all three convicted of murder and in my opinion, justifiably so. I honestly thought uh, the guy, his nickname is Roddy. I forget his name and I frankly don't care anymore. Um, I'll refer to him by whatever the numbers are on his um, prison fatigues going forward. But I thought he might slip the hook, uh, but all three convicted of murder. And it, given the fact that we saw what happened and the fact that they recorded is kind of weird, but, um, you know, we saw what happened. I mean, we saw them chase down a man, corner him, get into a confrontation and take his life. And the, maybe not as blatant as Derek Chauvin, but in the same ballpark. So I was honestly, and it, it felt weird. I was actually relieved and happy that it was, um, that a conviction was handed down because I saw what happened and you can't do that. Um, and so, the, you know, after the Kyle Rittenhouse vindication, which we talked about last week, it was an ugly situation. And we you know, sort of said like, okay, this is ugly, but based on the legal, um, you know, guidelines, the jury did the right thing. I think again, the jury did the right thing. These assholes killed someone and got convicted of murder and i think that's the accurate depiction your thoughts well look i mean i just i I think this goes this is along the same theme for me as or it shares a theme with the rittenhouse case and the idea of this idea of like white vigilantism right i mean it really kind of came to the forefront with george zimmerman and trayvon martin Right, you got this guy who decides that he's the neighborhood watch and that he is going to be the end-all, be-all and stop crime in his neighborhood. And he stalked that kid and, you know, 
confronts him and you know the kid gets the better of him so he shoots him he ends up walking on a self-defense case because he basically got his ass beat by Trayvon Martin and yep. then it did turn into a life or death situation to him at least what they're saying le- what they said legally and so he was justified in what he did now when you know you fast forward to the Rittenhouse thing you know I mean I look at the protesters in that situations as the ones who were the most in the wrong, right? Like they weren't supposed to be out there and neither was Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, you know, this idea that, well, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse drove across state lines. He drove 20 minutes, right? Like, I mean, there's like, listen, from Youngstown to Pennsylvania is, is only a 15 minute drive. So, you know, for me to drive across state lines to get into Pennsylvania isn't that big of a deal. So I thought it was ridiculous that people kept harping on, oh, he drove across state lines in that particular instance, right? Um, but the protesters were the ones who decided that he was a threat and went after him instead of going to the police like they should have if they were really that concerned that he was an active shooter or some other type of threat. They took the law into their own hands and forced Kyle Rittenhouse to have to defend himself against them, right? And they, you know, they had weapons. They hit him with the skateboard. The one guy pointed a gun at him. Um, and you saw how that comes out. And then you come back to this Arbery case from 2020 where they had no reason to be chasing this kid. You know, oh, well, we saw a black guy in a house that's under construction. And so they took that to mean that, well, we don't know if he committed a crime and we didn't actually see it. We heard about it. So we're going to take the law in our own hands and kill this kid in the middle of the fucking street. Right? I mean, like... To me, like that, that idea of white vigilantism is the issue in all of these cases, right? Just deciding to take the law into their own hands. And what I can appreciate is that our justice system is getting these situations right. Um, you know, with the Rittenhouse case, people didn't like the outcome, but I think so much of that was driven by politics, driven by media, driven by you know, just the, the divide that is our country. Um, but from a legal standpoint, it was the right move. And in this case, you know, you, you've got people like Tulsi Gabbard saying, well, see, this is the, see, this verdict means that our country isn't racist. Well, you know, look, I, I, I hate the idea of saying that the entire country is racist because of its past. But if you look at our, our country's past, we have a lot of racism in it that we can't ignore. I mean, the Civil War, you know, from slavery to the Civil War, to Reconstruction, to segregation and Jim Crow, the Civil Rights Movement, um, you know, the, the death of Martin Luther King, um, you know, all the way up through just the crazy things we've seen over the last hundred years or more with this country. There's plenty to point to, like, hey, y'all got a race issue in the United States. And so with Arbery, like the criminal justice system did get it right, which is good because there was a time where this might not have even been a criminal case, but it took 74 days for charges to be brought, right? Like the kid was killed in broad daylight and it was reported. And the only reason we know about it is between people protesting about it there in Georgia. And then the fact that this video leaked, if this video doesn't leak, do we even get charges against those three guys, the, the McMichaels and Roddy? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got a prosecutor who had to recuse, who had to recuse herself because she was basically obstructing justice and now has been charged with it. Uh, and so, and just the fact that these guys felt that they could do this and get away with it, right? Like, I mean, they felt justified in doing so um, because Arbery was black, right? Like, I mean, they didn't, they didn't chase, you know, I'm sure other white people have walked through that house and been caught on camera, but they didn't go chasing them down, right? And try, you know, with their truck and guns trying to kill those people, they went after this kid. Um, and you know, the whole idea, oh, well, he, he, he wasn't wearing the right clothes to run in. Like, listen, running outside, like just because everybody now has to wear Under Armour and you know 170 dollars shoes to go for a, a one mile jog doesn't necessarily mean that that if you're not wearing that then you can't be considered a runner that's ridiculous right um uh, so i just i don't know i feel that this they got this case right but there was a lot wrong with it leading up to this point that points to the issues that that really still need to be resolved um in terms of attitude towards race in the country 
You know, um, when when I was driving and heard um, uh, the verdict read out, like I said, I thought Roddy might not be convicted because he, the situation is so weird. He recorded it. He literally, uh, and and to your point, um, if we didn't see the video, you're right. This might have never gotten to a point of of a criminal charge, much less a trial. So. Um, you know, and I, I do want to point out, like, I mean, it was protests. It was, you know, our buddy, you know, uh, Whiskey Ben, Ben Eves from My Whiskey Band. You know, he's one of the first people that really, really kind of brought this to light, for, at least for me uh, and us, because he talked, you know, he reached out to us on Twitter and, and we talked about it. We had him on the show and he was really passionate about it. I mean, we did Facebook Live posts talking about this situation, you know, for over a month. Um, you know, just going through and breaking it down and, and, and looking at how uh, just a miscarriage of justice it was from the, from, not only from what the McMichaels did to, to Ahmaud Arbery, but just looking at, you know, what the prosecutor did and looking at the history of their police force and everything else. Like, it was a mess down there. Yeah. Um, and so there, 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 was, there, there was a lot to be concerned about, you know, and then you get a jury that's, you know, there, there's 11 white people and one black person which, you know, in Georgia, given the history of the state, given where we are socio-politically, there were some concerns, right? I mean, there were, concern, there were, some, there were some concerns because all it takes is one person on a jury. Um, and when it seems like that jury is heavily weighted towards the defendant in this case, it definitely brings up concerns on the idea of justice being carried through. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, justice prevails. Um, the right, you know, the right decision was made by that jury. Um, and, and, you know, we, we get a win for, for civil society um, and the fact that these men can't just, you know, walk free from committing such a terrible crime. You know, it's funny, Steve, because um, after the Chauvin verdict came out, you asked me how I felt. And I said, basically, I felt empty. And you told me basically welcome to what it's like to be black in America because it didn't reverse what happened. It just showed, um, you know, that there is there are consequences for acting the way that uh, that Derek Chauvin did. This actually did kind of give me a sense of relief because I thought that this was something where there could be. um of a juror or two that said, well, you know, he was running away and he grabbed the gun. And I, I was genuinely not secure with the idea that this verdict would fall through, you know, follow through. And, um, you know, again, it was, well, you know, with, with, you know, about that, you know, watching that trial, the prosecution, um, you know, the state of Georgia just did a really good job of putting the jury in a position where you know they, they really couldn't they really couldn't you know vote another way right they really couldn't decide another way because you know they talked about how they cut off his path they talked about how you know they they had ran him down with the truck and you know that he was outnumbered you know they had you know were you know they they were heavily armed and, you know, everything that could possibly go, be going through his mind in terms of, you know, what he thinks his, their threat level is, right? And how, you know, he's trying to basically save his life, which he was unsuccessful in doing, uh, and how they were the antagonists and they were the aggressors. And, and so, um, yeah, you're right. There is a sense of relief, but I said, but this is still a tragedy, right? Oh, sure. And, and as a, you know, as a, as a defense attorney, even... If I have, even if I, you know, win a case and, and maybe the defendant doesn't necessarily go to jail, um, you know, there, there were always instances where, like, okay, I know my guy didn't do it, but the person who did do it is still out there, right? And that was always the scary part. That's where things just never really settled with me, where, like, I, I know that the police, you know, put my guy in a position to where you know i mean like a, a really bad position where i had to get him out of it and i know that my guy didn't do it but now the issue is who did do it where is that person and what harm are they causing now uh and so with this case yeah we got who did it 
and yeah, that's the right call, but Ahmad Arbery is still dead. Right. Very unnecessarily. There's no reason for him to be dead. They should have never called the police on the kid. They should have never chased the kid. Um, th- th- there was just nothing there. And frankly, even if he did steal something, there's no way that you could say that killing him was justifiable. Right? If he stole a hammer, all the different bullshit that was made up about him, um, none of that justified him being murdered in the street the way that he was. Sure. Um, and so it's just, it's still a tragedy. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a societal win for, for uh, the rule of law to a degree, but it's still just really tragic. And the fact that, you know, those men felt that they could do what they did and for about 74 days thought that they were going to get away with it. Right? Like that's that, that, that aspect of it, you know, not only thought that they could get away with it, not because they did such a great job of covering it up and hiding it, Right. Like it's not, you know, it's not like they went Dexter on us. Right. Like they did it in broad daylight in the middle of the street and recorded it. And say, they the chose to record it. Right. They, they, cho- it's not like somebody even random recording it. Right. Like, I mean, they, like this Roddy guy, you know, he tried to, he tried to distance himself from them after the fact. But I mean, it was clear that, you know, he was of their same mindset, um, you know, based off the text messages and the Facebook group, Facebook group that they were in. Um, you know, I mean, so it's just like, you know, I, again, this is, it's a win for, for the rule of law. Um, and the idea that you can't just do this. I mean, it's still a societal loss because this kid is dead. Um, and, and you hope that it makes people think twice about deciding to take the law into their own hands, um, you know, especially outside of their home. You know, I'm a strong, firm believer in self-defense um obviously with you know my guns and training and everything else like i think that that's important but the idea of just you know roaming the streets deciding that i'm going to be the one to stop crime and enforce the law no that's that's not okay that's not acceptable and what and what some of these people are doing is fortunately getting them in trouble and behind bars but unfortunately not before they cause major damage right in this case taking life um, you you put out uh, in our in our chat uh, the Elijah McLean story, and I'd kind of like to put the ball in your court to describe that situation. Yeah, I mean, with Elijah McLean, we have talked about him a couple times. He was a really small kid. I think he was in his early twenties, maybe twenty three. Uh, you know, he was all of you know five six or five seven and, and one hundred and fifty pounds soaking wet, and. He, you know, wore something to cover his face pre-COVID um, and was, you know, kind of bopping and singing and dancing down the street, which I guess was his normal demeanor. Someone called the police on him. You know, multiple officers respond. Uh, you know, and there's an audio tape of this kid begging him, like, look, man, I'm just I'm a little bit different. I just like to sing and dance and I'm not causing any problems. They subdue him. Multiple officers subdue him. And then... Uh, EMS shows up and then they hit him with a fatal dose of ketamine, uh, which ends up killing the kid. Uh, and then the officers in the EMS have all been charged with murder. Uh, and I don't, I don't see any way around that, right? Like, I mean, first of all, I mean, you know more about ketamine than I do. Um, you know, me and my friends have a running joke about ketamine when shit gets really stressful. It's like, screw the bruise, screw the weed, just hit me with the ketamine. But... <laughs> I mean, ketamine is a really strong drug that I I don't believe should be used on the street really for much of anything. Um, And I know there's some wild people out there that, you know, when they're on PCP or crack or whatever, can be just abnormally strong. But the idea that you're going to use ketamine on a kid walking down the street, right? Like, I'm sorry, if if you walk up on me and just decide to start, you know, questioning me and and grabbing me, like, because my question to them would be, what exactly were you arresting him for, right? Like, and that's a, that, that's the thing that I've never been able to understand, you know, reading, going back through this and reading all this, the kid's walking down the street and he's bopping around. Like, so what exactly, like, so like if you, if, if a kid is just walking down the street, a guy, a person, and they're doing it in a way that you don't like, that means you can just go ahead and arrest them. Like what, what I guess my question to them would be, what was your reasoning for the number of officers that responded, what was your reasoning for them taking the kid into custody? 
right? Like, I mean, I, I guess that's the part that I don't understand how we get there. Um, and then for them to use this really, really strong drug on a really, really small person um, to sort of seal the deal. You know, I, so I, I'm going to deflect away. I don't know the the potential lethality of ketamine. I know what it is. Oh. It's, uh, I mean, I, I know it has, how it has to be administered, but I don't, I don't know the specifics of that drug and how dangerous it can be. Um, but I do know that injecting someone with a drug without their consent is always a dangerous thing. And I mean, I look, we know it happens, right? Um, just having friends who have worked in psych wards, you get someone who completely loses their shit and, you know, they, they, they give them a, a you know, they, they, they have different concoctions of chemicals that they can give to people that'll pretty much instantly, you know. But that's in a psych ward, that's different. Them. Right, uh, exactly. I mean, in a psych ward, that's one thing, especially, you know, when you're dealing with the, with the nursing staff or, or whatever. Um, but uh, again, just the use of, you know, it, it's not only what they did and how they did, but the specific, you know, drug that, that, that they used. Um, just so many things that went wrong here. Now, the other thing from a legal standpoint is if using ketamine in the state of Colorado is a normal practice that's accepted and that's kind of standard operating procedure, then, okay, that kind of takes, that takes it off the board a little bit, but then the question is like, okay, so what's the, you know, what, what is the protocol for using this drug? Um, you know, is there any sort of evaluation made on like the person, their size and, and, and things like that? And, and was the protocol followed in this instance? It feels like that answer is teetering, teetering towards no, but I don't know that, uh, you know, I don't know what the procedures and protocols are, so I can't say that specifically. Um, I think the bigger picture, the, idea with that, the bigger picture is, should that be an acceptable practice? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is the bigger question, but for, in their case, right, their defense could be, look, like, we're sorry that he died, but in Colorado, this is a standard thing that we do. We gave him too much, and unfortunately, he died, and that's something that you're going to have to look at from a legal standpoint and kind of break it apart and put it back together. If you're the defense, you're going to lean on that heavily. If you're, if you're the state, you're going to be like, get the fuck out of here with that. Um, and then each side makes their arguments and then you kind of see who wins out. But I, I have to imagine that, you know, if these cases go to trial, um, and I don't know if they'll be, I mean, I'm sure they'll probably have different cases. Like I would probably put the police in a separate thing from the EMS crew. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to try all those people together, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to work out there, but I mean, I think it is important that they're charged because it just seems like another unnecessary death um of you know an innocent and, and look i mean this kid's got no this kid had no criminal record i mean you want to talk about a perfect victim i mean i mean the kid loved to sing and dance and he was a little bit yeah he was a little bit different but you know there's like as much as people want to dig up dirt on on these various victims to make them you know less of a victim right, to justify and, and less uh um can't think of the word for it but uh you know this kid is just you're, you're just not going to find that with him and so um you know it, 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 i i'm i'm happy that they've been charged and we'll see uh, happy is the wrong term but i, I think no. it's a good thing that they've been charged and we'll see kind of how it works out yeah you know it, it, it you're flashing me back to um after rittenhouse got uh exonerated suddenly he became a hero i'm like all right this kid's not a hero what he did is not laudable. He, the The law may have gone the right way in terms of he shouldn't have been convicted, but um, you know, Trump said, "Well, this is a witch hunt from the beginning." I'm like, no, he shot three people, killed two of them. The law should get involved, and this is another situation where the law needs to get involved. And if they're going to plead not guilty, and we have to go through the legal process, that's that's good. I mean, they deserve their quote-unquote, day in court. But the situation is still ugly, just like Rittenhouse, and the legal system needs to step in and, and, and um, you know, adjudicate and, and, and deal with this because it's not a 
clear cut something was terribly wrong or nothing was wrong they does they deserve to be analyzed from the legal perspective and they deserve yeah, their day I in mean, court I, I, look I, I mean i've said this before i think anytime that you have a a, a person that's in police custody and that person dies then i think that there needs to be a deep look at what happened right we sure. can't like we can't just decide that you know for the most part we're okay with our police killing people uh, because well you know their job is hard and people are dangerous so you know it's fine most of the time right? because that's basically the attitude that we have is that look if the police kill somebody chances are that person deserved it nine times out of ten so i'm willing to accept a few misfires right and i, I and, and that's what they go to because they look like if you look at the total number of police interactions the total number sure. of people blah, 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 it's only a small percentage of people that get killed and so it's not that bad but I think whether you can get to a level of perfection or not, I still think you have to you have to strive for it, and you can't get loose with the idea that it's okay if police kill people. Like, yeah, they need to be scrutinized. It needs to be analyzed. They need to think twice about it. Um, you know, and at the same time, we need to address some of the issues that are that are creating, you know, violent suspects and violent offenders. Right. I mean, like two things can be true at once. We need to figure out how to make people in public less violent that the police have to interact with. But at the same time, like we need the police, like the 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 the, the first, second, third option shouldn't be let's well let's just shoot them because that's the easy easy way out. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that's their thought process, but the more you let it go, the more you're willing to sweep, sweep under the rug, the more you're willing to accept just any explanation that's given by the police and say well it's the police i trust them unequivocally no matter what then you're going to start to run into problems with broader society right like it, because it's everybody's fine with it if it's you know some inner city gangbanger right like no one cares because, all right well he was a gangbanger he deserved it but then you know over time police get bolder and if it spills into a suburban neighborhood all of a sudden it's a problem and it's like well how did we get here how did this happen right it's because, and, and it's because like you let the police go unchecked and that sort of shit like you know like just unchecked power uh it, it can become a virus right and it can spread and with the general idea amongst police is that look we make our own rules we're the only people who can judge us we can do no wrong as long as we say we haven't done wrong then yeah i'm sorry that eventually evolves into a problem um that broader society will have to deal with i think the ultimate example of that was freddie gray like they freddie gray ran so they chased him down and then manufactured the reason for chasing him down and ultimately leading to his death he was like well he had a pocket knife okay you didn't know you that. Didn't, you, when, you didn't know that when he ran. Right. I mean, and, and, and that's and that's the whole thing. It's just like, well, I, you know, if, if a guy sees you and runs, I, look, if you're looking for someone, right? Like, I mean, I, I watch a lot of terrible shows on CBS, on CBS, right? Like, so NCIS, and CSI. And, that's on you. You know, they're looking. Yeah, it is on me, but I mean, it's easy and it helps my brain relax. But, okay. You know, they're, like they're always looking for a guy. They see the guy and the guy runs. They're like, we got a runner and they go chase him. Okay, that's one thing. Like, if you're looking for someone specific for a specific crime or reason or to question them and they take off and run, all right, well, yeah, you get chased, right? But if you're just walking down the street, there's stuff going on, and you see a person like, oh, I know him. I don't like him. That person says, oh, I know them. I don't like them. Let me go the other way. And you chase after him and then you arrest him. Like, what are you arresting him for? Oh, well, because he had a pocket knife. Like, is that an arrestable crime? And then you throw him in the back of the, a van and kill him. Well, yeah, we got to look at that, right? I mean, yeah. and, and I think most of those officers ended up getting off on that. I, it's, um, it's been a while, but I think you're right. Um, you know, but I mean, it's still something that, that needs to be looked at, right? I, yeah. mean, you, I mean, like, you, if you're a police officer, you got to find better ways to deal with some of these scenarios other than going to... You know the the you know most aggressive tools in your in, in, in your tool bag. Well, and when the after the fact gets brushed under the table as well, he had a knife again. You didn't know that when you tackled him, put a knee right. in his and, back, and, and, you know, and, and and part of that like 
you know, and, and that sort of attitude that police have generally, right, of we're the only ones who can police us, we're the only ones who know our job, and, you know, we'll tell you if we screw up, otherwise just assume we did right. You know, that's why you have groups like Black Lives Matter and, and other groups saying we need to defund the police and we need to abolish right. prisons, right? That are like they're going the complete opposite direction. And that's because police power for a long time has basically gone to a degree unchecked, right? So you need some sort of a balance. Like, I don't think abolishing prisons and getting rid of the police is really the way we want to go. Now, ideally, it'd be great if we lived in a society where we didn't need police and we didn't need prisons and you didn't have to worry about crime and you know if you had a person who was stealing food and it was easily solved by a social worker and a good food bank then yeah i would sign up to live in that society yes absolutely right like if you could say there's a way we can get rid of crime where we don't need police we don't need guns we don't need prisons and it's just perfectly safe for everybody to leave their doors unlocked i'd sign up for that any day of the week but that's just not reality Right? Right. Like there's, no, just, there's no clearly. society. There's no society that, that where, where, where that's the case. So we have to find some sort of some sort of balance between police having unchecked authoritarian power and this idea of well, let's just get rid of them and prisons all together, even though we've come nowhere near resolving the issues of, in terms of why they exist in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really no. Um... Uh, no pushback, obviously, from me or from most logical people. It's just, you're right. It'd be great if we didn't have to have these societal checks in place, but we do. Um, having said that, to give um, the authorities just unchecked power results in in issues like we're talking about. And if that's well, considered you know, the other thing that the other thing that kills me, right, is that the people who support the police the most are the ones who cry about government overreach the most. Right, like the, I mean, like the people who support the police and back the blue, and and you know are are sycophants for the military, and and will suck the dick of any veteran that they see, right? Are the same people who will tell you the government overreaches and they need to stay out of my shit and they shouldn't right. have all this power. It's just like, like well, you, you don't see the, the you, you don't see the issue here. You use the critical word there, my. They want you out of their. They want the government out of their space when it gets into someone else's space, and that other that someone else is someone who they consider undesirable or whatever you want to whatever word you want to use. They're fine with that. Well, guess what? It needs to be equal across the board, and um, you know when you've got the government jumping into the lives of of citizens um, who have not done anything to deserve government intervention just because they're a different colored skin or, or different economic social economic uh level <laughs> if, if you can't separate those two things or can't recognize those things that's on you yeah absolutely you know um yeah i mean it's unfortunate um but we got we just got to keep working yeah i mean as a, as a society we got to keep working towards the greater good and, and working towards you know finding some compromise in the middle which i think there's a lot of people who are upset with the idea of compromise and i think for good reason because i think a lot of people have put some good faith in the idea of okay we'll compromise on this knowing that we can circle hoping that we can circle back to it and get you know sort of better solutions and and processes in place to prevent some of the bad uh, or, or fix some of the wrongs and, and they're kind of left in the lurch more often than not. So there are a lot of people who are kind of, you know, putting their, putting their foot in the ground or putting the line in the sand and saying no more compromise. We want this and then whatever this is seems extreme and, it, and there's no getting people to, to move um, and, and there's just a huge issue with trust. Yeah. Right. And I think it, and it goes a little bit. I think it goes a lot back to, you know, kind of my comment on how weak we are as a country, you know, on the individual level. Most, you know, most of our country is physically weak. Right. Like they're, they're not in good shape. They're not in good health. Right. I mean, they're not physically fit at all. Right. And I think that it seems kind of crazy. And so, like, all right, well, you spend a lot of time in the gym. But like, if you really think about it. And then you expand it out into to 
where we are with people's mental health. We have so many people struggling with depression and anxiety. Uh, and then you expand it out even more with the way, you know, with the work dynamics and people being so isolated and in communities not being as well connected and, you know, not having these strong neighborhood relationships and then, you know, not having these strong, you know, like community involvement, not having strong communities in general. Uh, I, I think it all sort of plays together. Right? Like, and because of that weakness, people are afraid. And when people are afraid, they lash out. And you're seeing a lot of lashing out right now and a lot of fear. And I think it's all related to the, to just the level of weakness. Um, and a lot of that weakness has been, has been created because it's been really easy. Right? I mean, like, com compared to, you know, the, the, the years of the Great Depression and, and where everybody had to work in manufacturing and everybody got drafted into the military. I mean, you had some really hard, strong working people, though those people ended up creating, you know, some of those people ended up being pretty kind of fucked up mentally and, and created some weird asshole kids that are now <laughs> parents and grandparents. But um, you didn't have some of these issues now. And then be, but because things were good for their kids and their grandkids and relatively easy, and manual labor went to the wayside and now people sit on their ass all day and work on computers, right? And you just don't have that same sort of strength because it's not needed. Like it's just, it's just kind of made the fabric of our country weaker and you can see it tearing and we can get it back. I mean, hopefully, I think we can. Um, it's just gonna take effort, right? An effort that people aren't used to and they're gonna have to, otherwise we fail. You know, it's funny you say that. I was thinking about this the other day. I um, was doing something on my computer for my new project, and I clicked to close something, and it told me, did you want to save this? Which I absolutely did, because it was a, a, a timesheet-related thing. And I had a flashback to my early days with computers when, yes, you were 10 and I was 20 or actually probably you were eight and I was 18 but if you just ended something it was gone <laughs> you didn't get that warning of hey if you don't want to lose what you just did too bad and I remember failing to save something and showing it to my dad later that I had fixed a problem I had with the program and it was still screwed up and I was like oh no and I had to you know Retracted. Well, I mean, not just that. I mean, there were times where even if you didn't mean to close something, like sometimes things would get screwed up or you yeah, thought you saved and you didn't save and, and you had to either start from scratch or start from a, from a you know, a previous point that wasn't nearly as far along. And I mean, it was brutal. I, I mean, and, I mean I, I, I'm old enough to where I had to learn to type on a typewriter. And like I actually needed whiteout, you know. Like I had, I always. You know, I don't want to be dick, but I'm surprised that you had to deal with that because I yeah, did too. I, but I, I, I am old enough, right? I mean, and this is like first, second, third grade. But like, and now I always have whiteout, and I, I laugh at myself because I, I I'm adamant that I have whiteout at and around my desk, and I'm like, I, there's no way that I would ever need this, considering microsoft and adobe and all the editing functions it's like this is no reason for me to need this right like even the times where i've had to like train like i've had like i've had a document signed and then i see a mistake on it like i've been able to go back change the mistake even though the document is signed and then still get it out yeah i mean there's some questions about that how <laughs> that falls into the yeah but we won't get into that but still oh let's get still to do it it's just amazing but yet i still have my whiteout so but anyway we're a little bit off off the rails but I mean, I, I don't know. I think, you know, as just as a society, we need to get we, we need to get back to a, a level of trusting people, even if they don't look like you, even if they're not the same economic, uh, uh, even if they're not in the same economic place, um, and getting back to the idea of, you know, the greater good isn't always what's best for me, right? Like the greater good to help, you know, a rising tide rising tide raises all boats, and so sometimes. I may have to pay a little bit more in taxes. I may have to deal with some somewhat of an inconvenience on this or that if it's, if it, as it relates to safety or whatever, if, if, it, if it ends up being better for everyone across the board and it really shouldn't take, you know, a, a doctoral dissertation to explain why some of these things are better, right? Like, you know, getting into some of the, you know, the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill 
you know, why are these things better? Because better roads are better for everyone, right? Like yeah. every single person it's better for. And getting those roads better creates jobs. Like this, this isn't hard to explain, right? Like, and yeah, like they, they needed to cut a lot of fat and bullshit out of, of that bill. Same with the Build Back Better, but the basic premise of it still is the same. So some of these people that are voting against it just because it's a Democratic administration or just because they don't like Joe Biden or whoever, right? And they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. That's the sort of shit that we need to stop. And that that starts at the top level, right? Like that that is something that, you know, the people that we're putting in the office, you know, all the way from local all the way up to the White House, that those are the sort of things that they need to address. And, and we see, can't address things individually, but those are the things that the people that we vote for, we need to push them to address. Steve, I think you're, a, a bigger point to what you're saying is um, now it's gotten to the point where Republicans who voted in favor of the infrastructure bill are getting targeted by their colleagues and by their party and trying to get them voted out of office because they had the nerve to vote party line, even if it was best for their constituency. And that's right. terrifying when it's like, yeah. if you don't march in lockstep, you're, you're, you know, we're, we're not only not going to agree with you, but we're going to try to push you out. And it's people like that that need to win in their uh, districts and in their, you know, uh, primaries because if they're doing what is best for their constituency and they're being vilified for doing so because it goes against the Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump agenda, then you're hurting, you're, like you said earlier, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, but here's the problem. We put people like Colorado puts in Lauren Boebert, right? You know, Boebert, you know, just this week, has really shitty comment and just flat out, you know, racist and, and, and xenophobic comment about, you know, Ilhan, Ilhan Omar and Muslims and how she was getting on an elevator and security rushed to her defense because she had a backpack and, you know, suggesting that she may be a suicide bomber. It's just a really ignorant comment. But, you know, this is the person that they, that they put in the office, you know, and I think there's an interesting stat with her. You know, if you look at the other people in office in Colorado in Congress and you look at the, you know, the money that they brought into their jurisdictions, you know, you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Well, Bobert got a big fat zero, right? Not a single dollar has been brought into her district by her. And you say, oh, well, she just got an office a little bit ago. But I mean, there's plenty of people who just got an office who've been able to get wins for their district already. Because people like her, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, like they don't care about any of that stuff, right? Like their whole purpose in Congress is to be is is to be obstructionist. Yeah. Right. Their, their whole thing is just to ring the bell of the other side sucks. That's all they do. Right. They don't they, they don't they, they don't bring anything. They don't bring any bill. Like even if they do bring a bill, it's something that is so ridiculous. Like. Kyle Rittenhouse getting the, the Medal of Freedom or the Medal of Honor or, uh, you know... Did someone actually do that? Joe, I didn't see that. You know, we're going to impeach Joe Biden, you know, his first day in office. Like, just insane bullshit that wastes time, energy, and money, you know, to draw attention to themselves to raise their star and does nothing for their actual constituents. Now, did someone actually put the Rittenhouse thing out there? I didn't see it. I don't know if yeah, you were being hyperbolic. Uh, or, of course you did. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. So I don't I know mean, why that surprised me for a second, but okay. Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 insane. But um, you know, but uh, and you know, but, Kyle, you know, I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse. Not, good. No, I was just going to say that kind of segue. I mean, we talked about the infrastructure bill, you know, getting passed, and um, you know, I mean, that's a big win for Biden and his administration. Um, you know, the, obviously the, there's the Republican pushback against it and, you know, people are worried about those two bills and what they're going to do for inflation. And I, I just think, look, man, if, if you got things that are going to put people to work, you got things that are, that are going to address some of the things, like you, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you know, you and, you know, child care is the thing I'm thinking of, right? Like I have a child and when COVID hit. You know, I had to. I ended up having to spend an extra eight hundred or an extra six hundred dollars a month 
on childcare that I hadn't planned on spending. You know, like I was spending, you know, roughly two hundred uh, during the school year a month, uh, which is not bad. You know, and that was just for you know just some brief aftercare after school. But because of the way COVID, you know, shut down the schools and and because I still had to work and I just didn't have an opportunity, like I, there was no way for me to stay home with my daughter. Like I had to spend this extra money on childcare, and that was a that was a financial hit. Sure. You know, six hundred dollars a month for I don't know, like fourteen months or whatever it was. I mean, that that was just something that I was not expecting in any way, shape, or form and had to adjust to. Fortunately, I was able to, but there are a lot of families that weren't able to adjust, and which is why you're seeing issues in the workforce. You know, sure. I mean, that, that cost pulled, whether in most cases, a lot of women, you know, but in some cases, some men pulled them out of the workforce because they had to, it, like, there was no point in them working strictly to pay for childcare. And especially once you got, if you have more than one kid, you know, if you've got two, three, or four kids, and, you know, each kid is going to cost you, you know, a couple hundred to a few hundred dollars a week for child care. And you're talking about now a, 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 an extra two, three thousand dollars a month just to have your kid taken care of. Well, now you've got one person who literally the only reason they're working is to pay for child care. And it's like, well, fuck it. I'll do it myself. I'll watch my own kid as opposed to paying money out of pocket. You okay. just have to tighten the belt and have less extra cash if you haven't. You know, you know. I mean, you're in a, a two-income family. I'm a single guy with no kids, so I don't have to deal with that. But yeah, that's absolutely shaking up the workforce. Yeah, um, I mean, and so that's why you know, in the Build Back Better, where there are things for childcare, and you know, there's things for uh, you know, making sure that kids got food and healthcare, and reducing the cost of insulin. Like those things are critical, right? Like insulin is crazy expensive for a lot of people, whether you have insurance or not. And it's just, it's, it's something, it's a drug that doesn't cost a lot of money to make. And that there's just, we, we know exactly what it is. So the idea, you know, I mean, the, these drug companies have made so much money off of it. And there's so many people who need it. Like, are you going to make as much money? No. Right. Like, are you going to have to give up one of your private jets? I mean, the, re- the reality is, is probably not, but you may, but you're still like these, these, these pharma companies are still going to be literally rolling in dough. Even if you reduce, even if you cap the cost of insulin at thirty-five dollars uh, uh, a vial, like the number of people who use it, it's going to be a volume thing. You know, I mean, so you're still going to make money on the quantity, not necessarily, you know, the giant margins that you mark up. So, it just it, these are no-brainer sort of things. And again, you got to pull some of the bullshit and the and the pork and the fat out of these bills. Right. I mean, I'm I'm all about that. And I think that we need to be we need to be vigilant with that sort of thing from a a congressional standpoint. But, you know, we can't lose the heart of some of these bills, especially something like Build Back Better, because those are the sort of things that can correct the problems that we talk about that 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 keep a, a lot of your people in the inner city and a lot of your rural families and a lot of your lower income families in this 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 cycle and death trap of poverty it's funny for me to listen to you promoting build back better because you've been very critical of the past um and understandably so uh and especially when it comes yeah i mean but to me i'm still critical because i think when you go through like i mean i've gone have i gone through the entire thing no because i think the entire thing is like some absurd number of pages but um you know, like cutting through the first couple hundred of pages of this thing. I mean, there, there, there's plenty of shit in there that there's just no reason for it to be in there. I don't care who it benefits. Like, it's just not helpful to a larger, a large enough section where you can trim down what this thing is going to cost. And you can, you can, if you're a Democrat, you can save yourself a fight that you don't have to fight. Like, take it out of this bill because you know the other side is looking for. They're looking. This is, you know, some of the stuff that they that, that they use to fuck these bills up. Like that's exactly what the other side is looking for. And why are you put, like these are fights you don't have to fight. You know, fight for childcare, fight for 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 cap drug prices. You know, fight for um, um, you know minimum wage increases and those sort of things. Those are the fight for affordable housing. Please fight for affordable housing. Yeah. Fight for that shit nonstop because you know that's my thing. But, <laughs> you know, like those are the sort of things that, that that you fight for. You know, getting 
you know, some of some of the stuff that's in there, like just like save that shit for another day and figure out another way to pay for it. Again, I'm just enjoying listening to you um, sounding like more of a lib than me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not disagreeing. Just I'm I'm, in, I'm enjoying listening to it. All right, man. We should wrap this up soon, but uh, we just both uh, had to endure Michigan just pounding Ohio State into oblivion, ending Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ohio State, uh, Michigan ends up beating them by like fourteen or fifteen. Um, yeah, fifteen. Look, man, Michigan. Like, uh, you give it to, to to Harbaugh on this one. Like, look, he put together a pretty simple game plan. He looked at the offensive line for Michigan. He looked at the defensive line from Ohio State and said, we can push them around, right? So what they do, they basically push them around, right? Like they, they, they Basically nothing. They drove it down their and, throats. It was brutal. And they ran a lot of wide zones, and Ohio State was constantly outflanked, meaning that Michigan had more guys to the strong side than Ohio State had. And then Michigan just said, we're going to just drive it down your throat. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, Ohio State's offense kept pace to a degree, um, but like Ohio State's defense just could not get a stop at all. I think they had you know one or I think they had one series where they stopped them. Um, otherwise, Michigan just ran down the field. So Michigan was a better team. They win the game. Harbaugh, you know, coached a good game. Day and his defense got out coached. Um, and it's unfortunate. Now, the reality is Ohio State's a young team. Day is a good coach. Ohio State will bounce back. And now the question is, what does Michigan do going forward? Um, because I think now they play in the Big Ten title game. Ohio State yeah. is out. Um, they'll move, Michigan will move up into the playoff picture. I think this moves Cincinnati up. I think it's it'll end up being Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, and Michigan in the playoff if everything stays after the championship weekend. Notre Dame uh, could end up in there. Uh, I, I, it'll be hard for Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame plays this week. It'll be easy for Notre Dame because they're Notre Dame, though. I, I don't think they, they, they'll play in a championship game. Um, and so the, Notre Dame is probably going to be on the outside looking in unless uh, one of the teams loses in their championship game. Right? So, Which is why I think the playoff picture needs to be expanded to at least eight teams um, because I think Notre Dame should be in the playoff um, and I can make an argument that I would like to also see Ohio State in there with a couple other teams. Um, I, and the argument of not expanding it is just ridiculous to me, but we know that expansion is coming. Playoff expansion of college football is coming in the next couple of years, so we only have to endure this for a little longer. Where do you stand in Cincinnati? Because I have a very strong opinion on this. What do you mean? I, where do you stand on Cincinnati getting their shot in the playoff? Oh, they're I, I, absolutely better. I mean, they, they, they listen. They're, they're beating. They're, they're undefeated and they're winning in style against pretty decent uh, opponents. Like they can only play who's in front of them. Uh, and I let them get their shot. You know, I mean, because you know, like listen, Cincinnati gets in there. They play a good game. I, I can can Cincinnati beat Georgia? I don't know. Uh, Georgia's defense is pretty remarkable. Uh, but their offense is nothing to write home about. Cincinnati's got a pretty dynamic offense and solid defense. I think, fuck yeah, let him in. All right, I, I 100% agree with you. I was at WVU in 1993, and we were undefeated going into the Sugar Bowl. We didn't get a chance to play in the um, in, in the bowl for the national championship. I uh, will not go into how things worked out for us. But we beat a top 10 Miami team. We beat a top 20 uh, Boston College team that had beaten Notre Dame, uh, who was a top 10 team. We beat everyone who got on the field with us, and we were denied a chance at the national title. Now, we got smoked by Florida in the Sugar Bowl, and I will point to the fact that Bourbon Street plus kids from West Virginia don't mix well. I will say this as a guy who you've seen as a 40-year-old something man in Las Vegas for the first time that if I had to be at my athletic best after a night in Las Vegas, I would not have been, nor were the kids from WVU after a night on Bourbon Street. Um, 
And that's whatever. Yeah, but, I mean, a lot of those kids from Florida aren't exactly from cosmopolitan cities. No, but so. they had been to the Sugar Bowl like four years in a row or three out of four years. Oh, that's true. And um, I know a personal story how one player, so they literally taped the doors for players in their hotel room in some rural I, town in Mississippi. I, I, I've been that player. Okay, I'm sure you have. All right, so why are you arguing with me? Because, yes, I'm sure you were. And you had a great time, I'm sure. Probably yeah, didn't leave your athletic. Then I got on the field and balled my ass off. So well, good, well, good for me, you. Me and those bums from West Virginia. <laughs> Good for you. I can tell you, those bums from West Virginia had a great time on Bourbon Street and did not ball out the next day in the in the Superdome. All right, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Um, the Bills don't smoked. Get, don't get mad at, don't get mad at facts, bro. Don't get mad at facts. Facts don't care about your feelings. Okay, fine. All right. You, do, do you do you want do you want a closing point? And we got more football. The Bills smoked New Orleans yesterday, so I was happy about that. Um, uh, no, I mean, like, you know, the NFL picture is, is, I mean, look, this is what the NFL wants, parody, right? The AFC is wide open. It absolutely um, is. Oh, my God. You know, there's a lot of teams that can get, that can still get into the playoffs. Um, you know, no, you know, you've got a couple teams with only a couple losses, but, you know, we're getting in the meat of the schedule. Uh, season's been fun, and, you know, we'll keep watching. You know, my Steelers are, they're, they're, they're struggling, but, I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. They're playing, they're also playing a ton of young guys on defense. A lot of young guys on offense. I mean, if you really think about it, we got two rookies starting on the offensive line. Our running back, who's a stud, is also a rookie. You know, we've got a rookie tight end. Like the Steelers are young. Claypool's team. a second-year guy, right? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, we've got you know three young guys in the second in the secondary that you know have, you know less than three years experience, and so like we, we've got a lot of young players. And the Steelers, when I watch them play, like every game with them is like watching them. It was like watching an old fight. It's like watching a Bernard Hopkins fight, you know, late in his career, right? Like, I mean, it's just like, it, you know it's going to be a slugfest. You're not going <laughs> to be able to knock him out. You may beat him, but you, you, you're going to pay a price if you do. Um, and that's where the Steelers are, you know. I mean, Ben can't move like he used to. Um, ben is always going to take risks throwing the ball. Uh, he can still sling it. He can still do a, a, a last-minute, two-minute drive to, to close the game out. Uh, that game against the Chargers last week, man, what a fucking game! I had to listen to it on the radio because I was driving, but I mean, it was—I mean, it was vintage Ben towards the end. The fact that they came back and they—they they should have won the game, could have, but that youth rears its ugly head because Minka Fitzpatrick was out, Joe Hayden was out, and playing multiple rookies back there. They had a really bad communication error, and they get a touchdown, and that seals the game. But. You know, it's just it's fun to watch. I'm, you know, football is still king. The you know the Cowboy game Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, did 35.8 million viewers. Um, you know, that was the highest rating since 1990 for anything. Um, you know, NFL games included. But uh, you know, to put it put it in perspective, I think the next closest thing in the last. In the last ten years, I believe was an award show that got like ten million viewers. So, you know, the idea that you know football is dead and dying and people don't care about the NFL anymore. Whoever's saying that like, is just full of shit because you know people just love the NFL. Um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, I got to watch the Bills game last night against the Saints, and uh, ultimately ended up being a, a blowout following the week before when I was driving and listening to the Bills get steamrolled by the by the Colts. Um, you know, you and I have our back and forth when it comes to the NFL. We have our obvious uh, loyalties and, and uh, you know, listening to the Bills get steamrolled while I was on the road and then talking to you shortly thereafter and having just shake off that brutal beatdown was awful. But the Bills bounce back. Now the AFC playoff picture is such a mess. It's going to be wild to figure out. And the fact that the Steelers beat Buffalo in Buffalo the first week of the season that you and I got to drive back uh, from Buffalo and talk about, it'll be curious to me to see if that ends up being, um, you know, <laughs> if there's a tiebreaker in there. I hope the Bills yeah, hold I out. Mean, and- it could be. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and like, you look at that, oh, it's a game that we should have won. But, I mean, like, look, Steelers played a pretty good defensive game there. 
offensively didn't do much. And, you know, again, you know, I mean, like, you, you win that game because you have Ben Roethlisberger, right? Yeah. Like, he can't move at all like he used to. Um, but, you know, he, was still, he still managed to throw a touchdown as needed. We got a blocked punt. Um, you know, the Steelers special teams is pretty good. They got a blocked punt in the Charger game as well. You know, um, you know, they're, they're, oh, trust they're, me, I saw. These are, you know, like I said, they're, they're a good team. You know, they've got, you know, Cam, Cam Hayward is having just an unbelievable all pro season. Um, you know, TJ Watt is, is just a, a freak. Um, on the outside there, the, the, the Bills lose Trey White, which is really huge, such a blow because he's such a good corner, but your, your defensive backfield is still pretty good. Um, so I think both teams will be in the midst. The Bills will probably definitely be in the playoffs. I think the Steelers are going to have to fight, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, brother, um, I always love talking to you. Um, I will be out of town for a weekend change, so yep. I don't know when I'll see you face to face again. But as soon as I can, I look forward to uh, uh, doing that. And um, you know, we'll, well, we'll remember next weekend. I'll be in in Las Vegas. I'll be in Sin City. So yeah, you know. <laughs> we may be we may be remote again. Now, since I don't drink anymore, you don't have to worry about me being hungover. Um, you know. No, but there are, there are other temptations in Las Vegas. Yeah, there, there are. There, I, I do have other vices, so who knows? But. Uh, well, right, man, will you drive safe, and we will we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Love you. We'll talk soon. Happy yeah. Thanksgiving. You want to throw any, throw, any more uh, Thanksgiving? Uh, no, nah, we're good. We're good. We're out. Thank you very much for listening. We are done.